This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm the non-superstitious physician and journalist Norman Swan. And it's Friday the 13th of August 2021. The spookiest day of the year. Let's hope not. (laughs) Well, it is, I mean, not to trivialise it, Norman, but of course it is a bit spooky in Australia at the moment. We're still dealing with a pretty severe outbreak, especially in New South Wales. The Sydney cluster is growing. It's not shrinking at all. And it's encroaching on other parts of the country it's continuing to do that. Yeah, I think that we should start calling it what it is, which is the second wave. Um, this is definitely now the second wave in New South Wales. Victoria had the second wave this time last year. And this is the second wave in New South Wales, particularly focusing on greater greater Sydney. So it's no longer a cluster, no longer an outbreak. It's a second wave and it just keeps on going. The really worrying uh, spread is to Walgett in northern New South Wales where uh, 29% of the population are Aboriginal people. And um, and we've done a fabulous job in Australia so far, largely through community-controlled health organisations of controlling the spread in, in, in Aboriginal communities. And we don't want this to happen now. I had the Chief Medical Officer, Paul Kelly, on Radio National Breakfast yesterday, who talked about putting vaccines into those communities and working with community-controlled health organisations to uh, particularly Nacho as well, the National Aboriginal Community-Controlled Health Organisation, to... Uh, really try and and not allow this to get into Aboriginal communities in northern New South Wales. There's already been pretty good uptake among Indigenous Australians of the vaccine. How long do they think it's, how long does uh, Dr Kelly think it's going to take until they've got the coverage that they need? It's early days. I don't think he was, I didn't ask him that question. uh, But you've got, but you've got spread into Victoria, spread to the ACT. Uh, It just shows you that this gets everywhere. And the the worrying statistics, uh, I also had Juliet O'Brien on Radio National Breakfast yesterday, who is a data, one of of the independent data analysts, data journalist. She runs the covid19data.com.au website, which is used actually by governments and uh, other officials in Australia, so reliable. And what she's showing clearly is that while 80% or so of the cases are still within these LGAs, 20% are elsewhere and it's slowly spreading. We're chasing the virus rather than getting ahead of it. If you look at the number of cases being under investigation where you don't know what their contacts are or their exposure sites, that number keeps on growing. And I think 2,000 is over 2,000 of those cases. We are now at the stage where um, she, she claims that Victoria was when Victoria really took off last year. And uh, the worry is that one of those contacts, one of those people who've got the virus, you don't know where they've been, where they're going to, they get involved in a super spreading event or they have been involved in a super spreading event, less likely in a lockdown, but that's possible. And this could really take off. So the contact tracers are working to the edge of their capacity with the numbers involved. It's not their fault. I keep on saying that. They're doing a great job in holding the fort. But all you need is a couple of super spreading events and we will be overwhelmed and it's, and it's off and running. What are they saying that Sydney should be doing to stop this spread out of the greater Sydney area? Well, uh, the CMO, Professor Kelly, was being um, diplomatic about what he thought. And it is becoming clear um, from what I hear that the advice to the New South Wales government has been to standardise certain things such as the 10 kilometre rule. So outside those LGAs, uh, where it's a really strict lockdown, you can travel 10 kilometres. That you should really standardise the rules and get to five kilometres. That apparently has been not taken up by the politicians. 
you know, the issue here is that probably the health advice is not entirely being listened to in New South Wales. It's, it's a difficult question because New South Wales has been in lockdown now for, if you're in eastern suburbs, maybe seven or, seven or eight weeks, whatever it is. It's a long time. People feel that they're under lockdown. What extra can you do here? You know, some people, like Professor Brendan Crabb at the Burnett Institute, would reflect the opinion of many epidemiologists in the area is that you've got to go citywide with a much stricter lockdown, much clearer rules, more sensible boundaries, and just go hard. And that going hard might mean that you'd get over this in four to six weeks, particularly with the assistance of vaccination. So they're thinking that it it would be within the realm of possibility that it could come under control in four to six weeks, which at this stage sounds like not a very long time. Only if you change what you do. Right. Not, not if you continue doing what you're doing. So Juliette O'Brien was not willing to say when the peak might be because it will just keep on growing. And she thinks we could be at 500 cases a day by mid-September. And as we say, it's not just, I mean, feel desperately for the people of Greater Sydney, but it is spreading beyond that. Yesterday, we saw spread to the ACT the first case in the Capital Territory in like a year. Just doesn't recognise boundaries, roads. And if you don't have a strict lockdown with a a ring of steel around the city, people will drive to other places. Yeah, no one thinks they're the one that's got COVID. You know, like you say, it's got to be a system-wide interventions to actually stop the spread of this thing. Yep. And you mentioned vaccines as part of the ingredients that could help get us out of this situation. And I've heard a lot of numbers being bandied about recently, Norman, about vaccine hesitancy on one hand, that people sort of, you know, don't want to get the vaccine. And on the other hand, I'm seeing, you know, record numbers of young people like putting up their hands and going out and getting vaccinated. What do we know about the numbers around vaccine hesitancy and how reliable are the numbers that you're getting out of a poll compared to people's actual behaviour? I, th- I think the, the, the surveys, so I've, I've, I've seen some of the latest survey data that's going to the government and what's happening is, and it's good news, is that the number of people who are unlikely to ever get the vaccine, who say they're unlikely ever to get the vaccine for whatever reason, that's actually shrinking a little bit. That's down in a, in a lot of places, it's under, in parts of Australia, it's under 10%. So we've been talking about 10% there, but in fact, in a lot of parts of Australia, it's actually 5 7%. So it's, it's not a large number of people. And it's gone down a lot in young people. So hesitancy has gone down a lot in young people, which we kind of know, and that's New South Wales, Victoria particularly. Um, and that's great. And they're coming forward for their vaccines. The, uh, it's gone up, unfortunately, in people who, for whom English is not their first language, their main, the language that they speak at home. So we do have a problem in those areas, and that's particularly the problem. Uh, it'll be a problem in Victoria in the Northwest Corridor, and it'll be and it's certainly a problem in New South Wales in southwestern and western suburbs. And a, a lot of attention has got to be paid how, how to actually gain the trust of those communities. So you increase vaccination rates. So the vaccination rates are getting up there in wealthier suburbs where English is the language spoken at home. And it's getting better in the southern, southwestern and western suburbs of Sydney, but there's still that hesitancy. And the source of hesitancy from what they know, is still the same sort of thing. There is a feeling among some people that they want a choice of vaccine. If they get a choice of vaccine, they'll be happier. Some people are worried about safety. But a lot of it is about access, convenience. And if vaccines are taken to the people in 
every way possible, pharmacies, supermarkets or whatever, then a lot of people will step forward and bear their arms. And the more people that do it, the more normal it seems that you're not some, you're not the only weirdo on your block that's got a vaccine. Everyone's got it. And it, it makes it feel like you're doing something that everyone's doing rather than being out on a limb. It's a really important part that if you know people who've had the vaccine, you're more likely to have it done yourself. Well, I've had mine. And I've had mine. One country that's vaccinated most of its residents is Israel. What's happening there now, though? So Israel's got to the point which we talk about in terms of where we go from stage two to three in the, in, in the exit pathway from, for the COVID-19 pandemic. So they're at 80% of the adult population. So that's uh, 80% of the adult population is not 80% of the whole population. But they're, they're at that point. And what they're seeing right now is a very rapid increase in Delta in the, in the population. Hang on, that, <laughs> that doesn't sound like good news. They appear to be seeing a waning of the antibody response and the effectiveness of the vaccine after about six months. So when they've, and remember, Israel's got amazing data from uh, their vaccination program. And what they're seeing is if people over 60 were immunised in January, their resistance to infection is down at about 20%. But that goes up with each month closer to today, to the extent that particularly younger people who were immunised last month have got 90% resistance, which is really quite amazing. They, they do have, though, really good resistance against severe disease. So that seems to be maintained. But they are worried about waning immunity. So they've, they've embarked on a booster campaign for the over 60s. Now, probably to the over 50s, 600,000 people have been immunised with boosters over the last uh, two weeks. So it's quite incredible how they're got, getting going. They're finding that you're four, four times or so more likely to be infected if you're unvaccinated. So there's still a lot of protection from vaccination. But you know, even at 80%, there's still a lot of people, particularly young people, who are vulnerable and catch the infection and transmit it. And what they've shown, which is relevant to us, is that young people, school-age kids, catch it and they spread it. And one of the assumptions in the Doherty model was that while young people catch it, they don't spread it. And when I spoke to Professor Cyril Cohn of the Bar-Alan University, uh, yesterday he was saying definitely young people catch it and spread it. So that might be a problem for our modelling. And so for people with the vaccine, they're not getting a severe disease, which is great news. And is this also maybe like one of the questions we get a lot is about boosters and when, if we'll need them and when we'll need them. Is this giving us an idea of what the interval needs to be between our original vaccinations and when we get our booster shots? So it's one source of data. They've really got to be sure about this because you could waste a lot of doses if it's unnecessary. Professor Paul Kelly said that you know they are planning for booster shots next year and they're assuming that they are going to have to give them. But you know, there are some countries that are, seem to be holding the fort and not seeing a large swing to Delta, like Canada, for example. So it's not a uniform, a uniformly bad story. And so there's things going on in various countries which are different. And they really need to aggregate the data to be really sure that the booster is worth, worth having. So it's too early to call. Well, folks, that's all we've got time for on CoronaCast for this week. And we need to let you know something. We love you very much, but we need to take a couple of days break. We'll be back on Wednesday. Yeah, just going to have a long weekend and contemplate. Pretend this whole thing isn't happening. But until then, uh, take it easy and take care. And send in lots of questions while we're away to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll have a pile of them next Wednesday. See you then. See you then.